Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Victoria Jones, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today, we're featuring an interview with Housing Wire Digital Media Manager Elsina Lloyd and 2021 Housing Wire Rising Star Matt Jones, who formerly served as Senior Counsel for the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs and as Senior Counsel for the U.S. Senate Finance Committee. In this episode, Jones discusses his experience in aiding the creation of the CARES Act. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, we know your vision of success is unique to you. That's why your goals and our culture of support go hand in hand. We give you the tools and support you need to thrive and live your best life. Come home to Atlantic Bay. Visit JoinAtlanticBay.com to explore what's possible. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, NMLS number 72043, is an equal opportunity employer. Hello, Housing Wire listeners. Today, I'm joined with the 2021 Housing Wire Rising Star winner, Matt Jones, who formerly served as Senior Counsel for the Senate Committee on Banking and Housing and Urban Affairs and as Senior Counsel for the U.S. Senate Finance Committee. Thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me. Of course. Today, Matt will be speaking to us about his experience in aiding the creation of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, also known as the CARES Act, which was the government's response to the economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. Matthew, first things first, can you tell us more about yourself and your journey in Washington? Was working for the Senate Committee on Banking something you always wanted to do? And what drove you in that direction? Yeah, so, you know, interestingly, I I grew up in a family of mortgage bankers. It was a family business and and definitely the the dinner table discussion du jour growing up. Uh, I also had an interest in politics. Uh, So kind of in an interesting way, it it wound up doing both of them at the same time. Um, I actually had no intention of becoming a Hill staffer uh, originally, but uh, wanted to go to law school and and wound up in D.C. for that. Um, found my way to the Mortgage Bankers Association for a couple of years, and then kind of right place, right time, I, I found an opportunity to go over to Capitol Hill uh, for the banking committee uh, for Senator Crapo when he became chairman of the committee and got to kind of get involved in that. And after several years of, of work there, you know, in 2020 presented a massive <laughs> uh, crisis, the likes of which we've never seen, and, and also a huge opportunity to make a, a big difference in that capacity. Yeah, and you did make a big difference, which brings me to my next question, which is the pandemic itself. In a Housing Wire HW Plus article, you described how 2020 was a year unlike no other. In fact, I pulled a quote from the article that reads, it turned into by far the most consequential year of the four that I spent on the Hill. As the reports in the coronavirus started to come out in January and February of last year, it didn't take long for the questions to start flooding in on how Congress would respond. Can you discuss what the energy and environment felt like in Washington and when it was clear the government would have to act? Yeah, so you know, now that we're a year almost a year and a half past when the when the virus really broke out, we forget how it was. We forget how scary it was and 
back in, in, in the beginning when there was a run on toilet paper in every store. And it seemed like if you took a breath outside, you were going to contract the virus. And that, you know, level of, of fear was gripping everyone. Uh, and on the Hill, there was a tremendous uh, recognition that Congress had to act super quickly or else the entire economy w- w- was going to crash. And the likes of which uh, you could compare it to 2008, but possibly we've never seen before in terms of the, the scale and scope of this thing. So, you know, despite how Congress is, is often portrayed in the media as being trench warfare, um, what this crisis really spurred folks to do uh, in those those couple of days in March was really to work together and, and with a real sense of urgency, checking the, the party affiliation at the door and and really kind of pitching in on a, on a true bipartisan basis to put together this legislation. Wow. So I want to dive deeper on that question. Um, what was the process like when it came to writing a bill as large as the CARES Act? And how do you feel about the implementation of the bill? Do you think it positively impacted American households overall and including the economy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the bill was tremendously successful. You know, the part I, I got to work on, of course, was the mortgage forbearance, uh, the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium. Um, but that was a, a small corner of the bill. You remember the bill also provided $454 billion in emergency lending to Treasury that could, you know, prop up various sectors of the economy that were that were failing in March, the, com- the commercial paper market, the muni bond market, several other markets that would have collapsed were it not for the Fed and having those resources available. Um, You had the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, which was tremendously successful in keeping businesses from going under and keeping employees from losing their jobs. You had the first round of the direct economic impact payments with the stimulus checks, which provided immediate economic support to 100 million plus Americans. And then you had the mortgage items, which I think have been largely successful in preventing millions of homeowners from going into foreclosure and, and renters from getting evicted. And I think had those you know measures not be put been put in place, the the economic damage that the coronavirus would have caused would have been ten or twenty fold uh, what ultimately occurred. And and we would be having a very different conversation today than where we're at in an economy that. Is, you know, is in the process of recovering. And, and the biggest problem now is inflation. Yes, inflation is a problem. And something else that I just want to talk about as well, you mentioned forbearance. And I'm curious on, as we see more and more people exit forbearance, what do you think the market is going to look like? Or do you think we'll see positive or negative impacts from this? Well, post CARES Act implementation, um, FHFA and others have um, consistently extended a lot of these protections, right? So we still have an eviction moratorium in place. That's been in place for over a year. And certainly uh, the current policy debate is at what point should that be uh, sunset? Should it be continued? And, you know, I think a a lot of that in terms of how you address that is is looking at the numbers. How many people are still in forbearance uh, that still haven't been able to get their job back, still haven't returned to the income level they were at pre-crisis? And, I, I think it's it's a challenging issue in terms of, of where you kind of draw the line, because I don't think we're anywhere near where you would ideally want to be to prevent some folks from uh, from being adversely impacted if you take up the, the moratorium. Um, but, I, you know, I think certainly we're in a stronger place than we were a year ago. I also think 
um, one long-term permanent ramification of, of our response in the CARES Act is now, you know, in future crises, I think policymakers are going to turn to mortgage forbearance and eviction moratoriums as a policy tool that they can use um, to, you know, similarly try to prevent economic damage. And it's a tool that really historically hadn't been used until last year. So as we talk about economic damage and what that looks like with moratoriums and forbearance, you did mention inflation. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. What are you seeing in the market that, that concerns you mostly about inflation right now? Well, you know, when we did the CARES Act, there was tremendous bipartisan um, pressure and, and interest in, in doing it because there was an understanding it was absolutely essential. Um, there was a subsequent bill in December that passed with less than bipartisan support. And as time went on, you started to see the traditional partisan divide start to reform as the Republicans are thinking, you know, how much more public money are we going to put into this economy when it's starting to show signs of recovery? Uh, and the Democrats at the same time recognizing we haven't recovered yet in a lot of ways and, and we ought to continue to help uh, where we can. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, that's the debate where it, where it stands right now. You're seeing an economy that, that is showing a lot of signs of recovery and a lot of, of uh, excess public cash that's flushing around right now that was injected in the economy over the last 12 months. Um, and suddenly a lot of folks are getting their jobs back. And so, I mean, in terms of, you know, my personal view, I, I, I think we, we got it about right. Um, I think any extra stimulus beyond this point uh, might not be the most targeted approach. Uh, but I think a, a more fundamental issue that I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with is the inventory shortage uh, in the housing market right now that was, it, it, you know, in many ways exacerbated by this crisis and all the buying that's going on right now. But th this was an issue that predated COVID, certainly, but there's just not enough uh, affordable housing inventory, not enough starter homes, entry-level homes that are being built for a number of reasons. Um, and so I think the, the purchase demand that was pent up for a year is now, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the, the impact of that. Um, but I think in the long term, that, that's going to be the, the dominant problem in the housing market. Yeah, we're hearing from almost everybody that we interview or anybody that we talk to on the site for our articles, but inventory affordability are such a huge topic of discussion right now. And I'm really curious on how that's going to play out throughout the year. Um, I want to take this opportunity to brag on you specifically. I had the pleasure of joining HousingWire's graphic designer, Emily Carpenter, in the photo shoot she curated for your Rising Stars magazine edition. The photo shoot was amazing, and I would love to know how you felt then and also when you were given the award. And um, how did you feel when you figured out you'd be appearing on the cover of HousingWire's June magazine? <laughs> uh, when I got the email, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was very surprised, very, very <laughs> flattered. Uh, I'm very excited. I actually, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if I was eligible as a government employee, um, but I'm <laughs> put my. I'm glad. I'm glad that I was, uh, and I'm certainly honored by the uh, by the recognition. Um, you know, it, it was a a team effort uh, with many folks on my team. You know, I guess I my name was put forward, but I certainly had a good team of folks that helped me in working on the CARES Act, and you know, they know who they are. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just exciting to have been involved in, in that moment on the Hill and to have played a role in it. Um, 
and and hopefully to, to have made a real difference for the market and for the country. Well, I'm sure your team is so proud of you, and we were elated to have you as our cover rising star. I know there's so much more to come from you, which brings me to my next question. When we were scheduling this interview, you let me in on a new career opportunity that has come your way. You'll be leaving the Senate and returning to the mortgage business as you've accepted a position at a Mary First Home Mortgage. Can you tell us a bit about your new role? Yeah, so it's actually um, my family business that I grew up in and, and uh, was my first job out of college. Um Seven years ago, I left to go to D.C. and work in the government. Now I'm coming right around back home, moving back uh, closer to family um, and, uh, you know, bring in a lot of the knowledge and, and hopefully what I've what I've learned over the last seven years back uh, into the direct mortgage origination market. Um, uh, my actual job description is, is going to be working in capital markets, um, products and uh, a little bit of policy and government affairs as well. But certainly, um, you know, coming back home in a lot of ways, coming back with the family business after a stint in public service. But um, hopefully, I'll, you know, I'll still get to travel to D.C. and keep in touch with all the folks that I've met along the way. I'm sure you will. Um, like we said, you're a rising star, so I know there's more to come for you uh, throughout your career. Well, Matt, um, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, and thanks again for the honor of being a rising star this year. It means a whole lot. Of course. Thank you so much. Listeners, join us back here tomorrow for some more Housing Wire Daily. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing Housing Wire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. That's a wrap for today's episode of Housing Wire Daily. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and join us again tomorrow.